The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our armed forces and veterans who are tuning in today, along with new listeners joining us on affiliate stations in San Francisco, New York City, Miami, Chicago, Atlanta, Boston, and from coast to coast in every state in the Union. Thank you for making us part of your Newsweek. In just a moment, former White House Press Secretary for President George W. Bush and political commentator Dana Perino will be here to weigh in on what we can expect from Trump and Clinton as they head toward their respective conventions and face each other in the national election. And we'll also find out whether Perino ever felt compelled to ban media outlets or journalists from press conferences and whether Mr. Trump was justified in refusing to allow the Washington Post further access to him or his campaign. But first, before Ms. Perino joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about her background. Dana Marie Perino was born in Evanston, Wyoming, and grew up in Denver, Colorado. She earned her undergraduate degree from Colorado State University and master's degree from the University of Illinois Springfield. Her media career began while Perino was a college student. She worked at PBS affiliate KTSC-TV, then KCCY-FM, and then WCIA as a reporter covering the Illinois Capitol. It didn't take long before Perino found herself bound for Washington, D.C., where she took a job as a staff assistant for Representative Scott McGinnis of Colorado, and later press secretary for Representative Dan Schaefer, who was chair of the House Commerce Subcommittee on Energy and Power. When Schaefer announced his retirement, Perino took a brief hiatus to live in Britain. But by the end of 2001, she was ready to jump back into politics, becoming the spokesperson for the United States Department of Justice, and soon afterwards, joining the White House staff as Associate Director of Communications for the Council on Environmental Quality. In 2005, Perino was named Deputy Press Secretary, and two short years later became the first woman to become White House Press Secretary in a Republican administration. She fulfilled this duty until the end of the Bush administration, after which she was invited by President Obama to serve on the Broadcasting Board of Governors and joined Fox News as a commentator and co-host of The Five. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report, Former White House Press Secretary, author, and political commentator, Ms. Dana Perino. Thank you for joining us today, Ms. Perino. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm glad to talk to you again. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's always great to talk to you. You know, today I, I want to step back and take a break from the coverage of the tragedy in Orlando for just a moment, because I think the... The media has done an excellent job of covering just about every aspect of this story, and we seem to be entering a stage where these events are being used to forward some political agendas. So with that in mind, I want to ask you about a, a story that got some play, but it didn't seem to bother folks as much as I thought it would have. And that's the fact that Trump has banned the Washington Post from having access to his campaign. As a former White House press secretary, what do you make of that? Well, it's not my style. You know, I um, started as a journalist, as you just mentioned. Um, and when I was the White House press secretary, I, you know, as a conservative, I just accepted that, yes, um, conservatives or Republicans start in a deficit when it comes to credibility with the media. And so in my mind, the only way to make that deficit up and to get ahead was to work with them more and to provide access and more facts and be more persuasive. 
um, I also, when I, when I had the job, I would think of it in terms of half and half. Like half of my time I should be spending advocating and defending on behalf of the United States of America and the president. And the other half of my time, um, I would defend and protect the access of the media's right to be able to question the government. Um, and also, I had a pretty strong stomach for negative media attention. I would get really annoyed at headlines as well. Um, and in fact, back then, before th- there was Twitter, um, it was kind of harder to get a headline changed because usually it was in the print edition. Now, what Donald Trump was complaining about with the Washington Post was an over-the-top uh, headline that the Washington Post online editor had put up. They then changed it. But in the meantime, the Trump campaign decided to ban the Washington Post um, from covering his rallies. That doesn't mean they're not going to be able to cover them because the actual rallies are live on either Periscope or Facebook Live or even on television. Um, And the Washington Post isn't going to stop covering. So I have a feeling that they'll probably backtrack on that in a little bit. But, But, yeah, it disturbed me. I'm not somebody who thinks that any media organization should be banned unless there's egregious or criminal behavior that's involved. Right. I I guess I'm trying to make a distinction between whether the media disagrees with a particular candidate or a leader or whether they uh, their reporting is inaccurate. Do you think the Washington Post crossed that line with that headline? Well, I think the Washington Post even admitted that the headline was too much, and that's why they changed it. So, right. I mean, so, we're all human. And yeah, you don't want to mislead is, is the point. Yeah, you can disagree, right? And you can put a slight spin on things. I think all media, um, you know, formats do that just to try to get some attention, right? And because there's so much noise in the media, they're just trying to get attention and get people to read the full article. Uh, but well, there's a point at which you just in, are inaccurate. Well, the one thing that Jay Tapper did that day was that I thought was very effective is he said that Donald Trump's team if you want to ban the Washington Post, then you need to clarify what you meant by what you said. Mm-hmm. Right. It, to put the responsibility back on the on the speaker. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, I have to imagine that some version of banning happens behind the scenes. Uh, when you were press secretary for President Bush, um, were there members of the media or publications that you, you thought were better avoided? <laughs> <laughs> well, in the press briefing room, the press secretary doesn't have the option to end a, a press briefing. Um, I don't know if you know that. Um, the, the lead wire reporter, whoever the senior wire reporter is in the room that day, they get to decide when you're done. So it's not like you were able to just walk away from answering questions from the press. But there are things that can happen. For example, you know, we didn't put President Bush um, on MSNBC to do interviews because that would be counterproductive and a waste of his time. Mm-hmm. Um, we would put other members of the White House um, on MSNBC on occasion. But yes, of course, you make judgment calls and decisions based on where you think you can most, be most effective in uh, communicating with the American people. But again, you know, I worked for a president that had watched his dad deal with very negative press. Um, I had worked in Congress for a Republican, and so I had a pretty st- strong stomach for it. And I was lucky that my boss never blamed me for media bias or media coverage, right? It was, they never made it my fault. And I know a lot of press secretaries who would say that they wish that their bosses had been um, that generous with them. But it sounds like you took the approach that you already knew there was bias in the media. And so your approach was, well, we're just going to have to work harder and smarter to yeah. overcome that bias. Indeed. In fact, that's one of the reasons I left the journalism world before I went to work for Congress, because I didn't, I mean, I was only 23 at the time, but at the, I didn't really know that media bias existed until I started working in the media. And then I saw it firsthand and I thought, I cannot believe this actually happens. It seems so unfair. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to be a part of it. And I also knew that I probably wasn't going to move up unless I was complicit. So I left. Right. So you took it as a challenge. I took it as a challenge, but I also did figure out a way to avoid it, right? I didn't want to be a part. I wasn't going to mask my feelings uh, on the importance of fairness in order to get ahead at a news organization. Right, So right. instead, I left and I went into the public relations world, and that's how I ended up in Congress and then eventually at the White House. 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, You know, when I look at your media history, it really shows an ability to not contribute further to that bias, but to look at it as something that can be neutralized and dealt with. Now, we have to take our first break, but stay where you are. We'll be right back with more from Dana Perino. You're listening to The Costa Report. As a scientist who works hard to stay on top of current events and trends, I know how easy it is to get caught up in the details of a story and lose sight of the big picture. What is happening to society as a whole? Where are we headed? Why does it feel as if there's greater instability, unrest, and danger in the world? The truth is, very few of us have time to contemplate these questions. And if we're waiting for our leaders or the media to paint a clear picture, well, we may be in for a long wait. That's why I'm urging you to grab a copy of The Watchman's rattle. Do it now. Go to RebeccaCosta.com. Find out why scientists, government leaders, and the heads of the largest corporations in America are waking up to a newly uncovered pattern of human behavior. That's The Watchman's Rattle at RebeccaCosta.com, a bestseller in 26 countries and a book that Richard Branson, Donald Trump, and experts everywhere are calling a must-read. That's The Watchman's Rattle, available at bookstores everywhere and online at RebeccaCosta.com. If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right. I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and drag and drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning you heard this ad. But do it now, because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at tableau.com slash Costa. That's tableau.com slash Costa. Tableau Software. What's your data trying to tell you? Investments in securities involves the risk of loss. The following is a far too common tale of investing in annuities. A successful couple invested a large portion of their savings in annuities, thinking they were a safe way to guarantee a dependable income stream no matter what the market did. But it didn't take long for them to regret their decision. They were locked into low returns, faced potential tax consequences, and that they couldn't get out of their annuities without paying huge penalties. They were stuck, and so was their money. Suddenly, their retirement hopes and dreams were in danger. But it didn't have to happen to them, and it doesn't have to happen to you. You can avoid the annuity trap. Here's one way. Get the free report, Annuity Insights, your guide to better understanding annuities by calling 1-800-375-4441. Written by Forbes columnist and money manager Ken Fisher's firm, this powerful report could help save you from major financial heartache, and it's offered today for free. If you have an annuity or are considering one, claim your free annuities guide today. Hurry, free copies are limited. Call now, 1-800-375-4441. 1-800-375-4441. Speaking of breasts and mountains, a woman tried to kill her boyfriend with her breasts. Oh, dear. Uh, This is in Germany. Franziska Hansen, 33, charged with attempted murder with a weapon. Oh, God. After her lawyer boyfriend claimed she tried to smother him while pretending it was a sex game. Jeez, that must have been pretty gnarly. It must have been awesome. (laughs) What a way to go. Ever the bachelor, Mr. Todd. He ever the bachelor. The man was quoted as saying, I couldn't breathe anymore. I must have turned blue. I couldn't tear myself free, and I thought I was going to die. I couldn't tear People myself free. People pay for that. Free. People pay for this stuff. <laughs> Feeling like you're going to die via bosom. Spanning the globes to bring you the constant variety of sport. Tune in to Good Morning Monterey Bay, 6 to 9 a.m. on KSCO AM 1080. Back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is political commentator and former White House Press Secretary Dana Perino. 
I, I think we can agree that Trump's banning of the Washington Post is the tip of the iceberg when it comes to how wild this primary season has been on both sides of the aisle. For example, mm-hmm. uh, it, this is the first time that there have been accusations leveled against technology companies such as Facebook and and then just recently Google for manipulating the Internet in favor of Mrs. Clinton. And I believe you were one of the individuals who met with the founder of Facebook. Can you tell us what Mm -hmm. happened in that meeting? And did you walk away convinced that there's no uh, bias that's deliberate or otherwise? I was honored to be invited, um, and I was happy to where you could get uh, that many conservatives in a room together and everybody get along so well after the primary season that we had. Um, and I laughed and told Mark Zuckerberg, wow, we had to come all the way to Silicon Valley to have a meeting where everybody uh, got along. Um, I felt that everybody came there with um, an open mind. One of the things I thought was very important is that no conservative in the room thought that it was their place to tell a private company what they can or cannot do. Uh, and it was Facebook itself that said, they started the meeting by saying, we recognize we have a problem and that we have to do a better job of communicating with the conservative uh, community. And of course, as you can imagine, it's not in Facebook's business interest to alienate half of the country mm-hmm. or maybe like 40% of the country that, that identifies as conservative now. Um, I thought that they were genuine and sincere. Uh, they said that in their investigation, they had found no specific bias. They did not, full, well, they, they, as much as I could understand how the algorithm works, I mean, come on, it's like hard when you go to Silicon Valley and you realize just how out of whack you are when you're in New York and like the technology companies are so different from the <laughs> world that I've inhabited. Um, yeah. I, you know, I press buttons and things happen on the computer. That's the way I know it works. Um, I would not be surprised if there were individuals to try to help um, a candidate here or there along the way. Um, but did I think there was systemic problems? No. And I also felt like Facebook was offering the conservative group that was gathered there an olive branch. And I decided like we could take it or not. And what happens if you don't? They're the most powerful organization in the world in terms of getting information out. And a lot of the news organizations, including conservative ones, utilize Facebook in order to reach their um, constituencies and to help increase their subscriber bases. So I think that there was a willingness to talk about that. The main, there was a, one thing that was a, quite a distinction, and that was that there's the news feed that you see all day long, right? Those are, that's what you see your friends post and what you react to. The problem that we got called out there for was a different, less mature product called trending news. And that was where they were being accused of not allowing um, conservative news to be as popular as maybe it was on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I did not think there was a systemic problem, and I felt like there was an olive branch that was extended, and that the better way to continue to work with them is to have an open line of communication. Well, what's interesting is that even if there were a systemic problem within Facebook, uh, it's interesting that the group that was gathered there recognized that Facebook is a private, you know, it's its own company. It's a commercial endeavor. And it's up to them to decide if they're going to uh, have a bias or not have a bias. And really, it isn't a governmental issue. And there's really nothing uh, to provide oversight there other than the company leaders themselves. And also, interestingly, you know, they, Facebook, the company, recognized that it was conservatives in the room that backed them on some of the issues that they care about most, such as the free Internet. Yes. You know, Facebook and the tech companies don't want government interference into the workings of the Internet, and conservatives agree with them on that. And that issue is coming down the pike. You just look at the fights that are going on with the FCC right now, and Facebook and other companies like Google, they know that they're in the crosshairs. And so there is, there is some mutually agreed upon issue areas where conservatives and tech companies can actually work together for the benefit of the common good. That's very interesting that you bring that up. Uh, I, I had it, that had not occurred to me, but you're you're absolutely right, particularly on the area of a free internet. Uh, what do you make of this new report that shows that a Google search of Trump produces Hitler and other negative references uh, on a search engine, and uh, whereas the search of Hillary shows no misconduct for several pages of search results? Well, again, and would I be surprised if that happened? No. 
Uh, is there anything we can do about it? Like, no. It would take a lot to surprise you. <laughs> I take it. Yeah, I mean, uh, right. I've been at you know, I was at the White House for eight years. <laughs> yeah. like, um, but Google denies it, and I think that again, it's not in their interest to have all these stories. But I also think that conservatives and their constant whining about bias and how they're so victimized by the press and the media. In a way, it gets a little old to me because I think try harder. You have to work harder to persuade. You have to provide more facts. You have to be more engaging. You have to figure out a way to compete at their level to meet the country where it is. And if you're always complaining and looking for ways to be feel like victims, you're not going to get anywhere. Right. Well, you have you sort of have a philosophy that if things are not going well, figure it out work harder yeah. and overcome whatever the obstacle is instead of st- stand well standing back and complaining that the media is yeah. biased and starting to ban certain media outlets i guess is the is the opposite of what you've been doing in, <laughs> in your career uh yeah. but but I, I there are some biases that seem to be a little more systemic than others i mean as you know the 1934 communications act was designed to make sure the media behaved fairly so it stipulated right. that for every guest on the right who you offer airtime to, to be one on the left yeah there has to be one on the left but y- well, you've got to admit this year this year every news broadcast has got trump in it i mean how's that going to work <laughs> the other thing is is that there has been some very obvious ones but it was an opinion piece but let me just i'll make the point of the new york times editorial board um in, after the orlando attacks figured out a way to make it Republicans' fault that Machine shot the people because of the former religious right that used to be against gay marriage. I mean, it was astounding. It was like a caricature of what you would think of a liberal editorial page. But then on the news pages today, there's an article that um, says how the CIA tortured people. Now, Mm -hmm. it's about a report that does not necessarily say that. It talks about enhanced security interrogation techniques after 9-11. It's much more nuanced, but again, it's the headline that really irritates people. And actually, uh, I had an idea when I was press secretary that one of the things when you call a reporter to complain about an article, you're usually complaining about the headline, number yeah. one, usually, okay? Yep. Now, here's the thing that everybody, your listeners need to know. Reporters do not write their own headlines. There are headline writers that do that. So a reporter always gets a pass and they can say, oh, well, not my, you know, sorry, but I don't write the headlines. And I felt like there should be a news organization that required the article to be signed off on by the reporter when they have the headline proposed. I think that is a great idea because a lot of the reporters don't ever see the headline until it's, it's been approved. And uh, I think that is a fantastic idea. I know, frankly, many of the times when I'm submitting blogs or articles, uh, I never see the headline until it's in print. So uh, uh, I, I think that's a wonderful policy. Um, we have to take another commercial break, but stay right, stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these important messages. You're listening to the Costa Report. Now, if you've been listening to the Costa Report, you know that I'm a big fan of wines by Caraccioli Cellars. And today I'm here with Scott Caraccioli, who's one of the brains behind the most memorable wines money can buy. So I have a question for you. How did your family get into the wine business? Um, You know, in 2006, my father, his brother and uncle were really playing with the idea of planting a vineyard. And planting a vineyard turned into making a bottle, turned into making sparkling wine when um, Michelle came into the picture. So it was really kind of an organic situation, us being in agriculture in the Salinas Valley, and then the extension of that went to grapes, and here we are today. To find out more about Caraccioli Wines, visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com or stop by our tasting room in downtown Carmel, California. That's Caraccioli Cellars, C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars, where one bottle is never enough. 
This is Sylvia Panetta inviting you to join us for the Leon Panetta 2016 Lecture Series. This year, we've been discussing an America in Renaissance or Decline, the challenges facing a new president. In the final forum, Secretary Panetta will discuss changing society, technology, and media with journalists Ted Koppel, Howard Kurtz, and Judy Woodruff. What impact does this have on politics, business, security, and privacy? Call 831-582-4200. Join us. Hi, it's Charlie from The Garden Company. Spring has sprung, and it's an awesome time to be in the garden. Edible landscaping is super popular, so check out our certified organic vegetables and herbs in seeds and seedlings, as well as deciduous fruit trees, blueberries, avocados, guavas, figs, olives, and all kinds of citrus. Did you know drought-tolerant can be beautiful, too? Add color and texture to your landscape with our flowering perennials and shrubs from Australia, South Africa, and the Mediterranean, as well as California natives and hundreds of succulents. The Garden Company practices an organic first philosophy, offering earth-friendly fertilizers, soil products, and pest controls with a trained staff to guide your selection. Visit the Garden Company Nursery and Gift Shop and experience service only a local family-owned business can provide. 2218 Mission Street, across from Safeway on the west side of Santa Cruz. Like us at facebook.com slash thegardenco. The Garden Company Nursery and Gift Shop, proud member of Think Local First. Hello, my name is Lee Kopp with Pivot, the art of fashion in Santa Cruz, which produces the wildest fashion shows you've ever seen. On Saturday, June 18th in San Jose, we'll present a preview of wearable art to be featured at Ann and Mark's Art Party this fall, benefiting Silicon Valley Creates. The evening includes small bites, music, and the show. Tickets are just $20. For information, visit artpartysj.com. That's artpartysj.com. Cash flows and money move. The Money Move Show is dedicated to delivering tips and tools to help you earn more, save more, and protect your hard-earned assets. Host Pamela Fugit Hetrick interacts with her guests and callers every Thursday night from 7 to 8 p.m. Recent topics have included what is going on locally with health insurance, tips to maximize your Social Security income, how do you build an emergency fund for your family, Medicare 101 tips, how do you choose and pay for home health care, and many other topics. So tune in, take notes, call and get answers to your financial questions from Pamela Fugit-Hedrick on Money Moves, Thursdays at 7 p.m. That's Money Moves, Thursdays. 7 p.m. on KSCO AM 1080 Santa Cruz and KOMY 1340 Watsonville and 104.1 on your FM dial. Back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, our guest today is Dana Perino, who you uh, will recognize from Fox's popular daily roundtable called The Five, one of my favorite programs. Now, in addition to the conventions, the month of August is just around the corner, and I don't mean to sound superstitious, but even you have been quoted as saying the month of August is when everyone wants to take a vacation and something big always happens. So look into your crystal ball. Look into your, I know you have one. (laughs) In 2003, oh my gosh, my friend Judy Malo and I were at the White House and everybody was on vacation. It's not everybody, but like we were two of the only communications people there. And I can't tell you how many things happened that August. And we <laughs> um, said we were going to make T-shirts said that we survived August 2003 at the White House. Uh, I know. And, you know, it's, and you are right. It's just about the time we're all winding down and getting ready for the fall. Uh, so what about this August? Well, that's the thing is that you, you have to expect the unexpected. Right. Which um, you're so good at. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> what should I be getting ready for? <laughs> well, one of my predictions for this year already came true. Mm. And it was a sad one. And I, But I predicted on um, New Year's Eve on the show last year that, um, and, uh, that a Supreme Court justice would pass away before the general election. Mm. Um, and so that, unfortunately, was uh, Supreme Court Justice Anthony Scalia. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it could be anything from a terrorist attack or say, well, you think about August 2009. Do you remember what happened? Or 2008. 
that was the um, that was when the stock market crashed. Yep. I mean, you just never know what it's going to be. So this is also a time that it's very, very important that a White House that is winding down um, has the ability to fire on all cylinders. And I know, I believe that they understand this very well and that the people that are there have enough juice left in the tank in order to get him to the finish line in January 2017. I'm sorry, January 20th, 2017. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also a time when the transition teams with the two candidates um, are working very um, closely because they have to be ready to assume the governing role if they win. And that's a very quick turnaround. It's very quick from November 8th to January 20th to set up an entire government. It's very difficult. So my hope is that uh, the White House and the transition teams work so closely together that we don't have any moments of instability. Because my fear is not any sort of lawlessness within America, but that we do know based on experience that in times of instability is when terrorists like to try to strike because they think we're not um, on guard. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. Because one, one administration is winding down and that, uh, that transition period, I agree with you. It is incredibly short given the complexity of the both domestic and international issues that we're dealing with. Yep. Now, how about the conventions? As it stands right now, Trump and Clinton have the delegates to take their party's nomination. So what's all this rumbling we're starting to hear about the potential for violence at these conventions? Well, I hope that that's just a lot of media hype um, and that cooler heads will prevail and um, there won't be any violence at the convention. Of course, there will be protests and hopefully they will be peaceful. And I do think that security forces will be much more um, on guard than they've been able to be at some of the other rallies that, um, uh, that in particular Donald Trump has, has hosted where you've had the protesters outside that have turned violent. So mm-hmm. I think that, that both um, conventions will be much more sophisticated in terms of the security apparatus. Um, I don't think there will be violence. I just, I think that might be a lot of hype. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't have expected the primaries to get as out of control as they have been either. So I've been pretty much wrong at every forecast I've made since last year. So I'm not making any more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, join the club. Yeah. Um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, head of the DNC, was here just a few weeks ago, and she made it pretty clear on this program that there would not be a contested convention. So assuming that's the case, I guess the big news will be who Clinton chooses as a running mate and whether that person can energize the youth vote. Uh, what else should we be looking for? Well, it's not just the youth vote that she needs to focus on, but she does very poorly with um, white men in particular. Mm-hmm. So I think that this idea that she would choose an Elizabeth Warren is probably far-fetched, though she might um, tap Elizabeth Warren for a very senior position at the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be a significant policy role for the senator. Um, I think that Bernie Sanders people will somewhat get in line. It's interesting. I talked to Amy Walter, who's a wonderful person who you might consider to have on your show. Mm-hmm. She writes for the Cook Political Report, and she does great analysis of different demographics. And she said that the um, younger white men that were supporting Bernie Sanders um, were very strong in their support for him, and they just, for some reason, they do not like Hillary Clinton at all. And I asked her, I said, well, you know, I have some people in my world that tell me that they believe that those young men would be more likely to vote for Trump than they would for Clinton. Mm-hmm. And I just found that hard to believe. So I was asking her about it, and she said that she also doesn't think they will, in large number, in any way, vote for Trump, but they might vote for Gary Johnson, the libertarian candidate. And if you saw in the polls yesterday, Hillary Clinton in the Bloomberg and CBS polls um, beating Donald Trump at the election were held today by 12 points. But Gary Johnson gets 9.8% of the vote. So you do have a third-party spoiler of sorts in the libertarian candidate. Well, particularly if this is a close election, he may draft enough of the white male vote. And certainly if the youth vote can't be energized, it's going to be a problem. Now, I have heard from unofficial sources that uh, the big coup may be 
And I'm going to throw this out to the public for the very first time because I haven't heard anyone else talk about this. The big coup may be Joe Biden may be named as vice presidential candidate. Have you heard anything about that? I hear some people say that because there's great affection for Joe Biden, but I think that Hillary Clinton already has trouble separating herself from President Obama in terms of being able to say, I'm going to be different. Um, This is not going to be Obama's third term. Like She kind of wants to have it both ways, right? She wants to be able to say, yes, for all the people that love Obama, it will be a third term. And for all of you that don't, which there's two-thirds of the country that think the country's going in the wrong direction, for the rest of you, it's going to be new and different. That's very hard to do both messages. But I think the idea that Joe Biden would, would play any sort of governmental role in the future as is unlikely unless something happens with the FBI investigation and the Democrats decide that it's just too risky to have her as their candidate and they decide to have Joe Biden be their nominee. Right. However, Joe Biden would. Yeah. However, Joe Biden would help with the white male vote and particularly the labor vote, which for the first time, the, the Republicans are seem to be drafting away from a traditional Democratic voter that's a part of the unions, uh, working class and labor. I got to say earlier today, the AFL-CIO just decided to back Clinton and they have withheld that endorsement for the entire campaign. So yeah. I think that, that the Democrats will have labor in line. No problem. You think so? Yes. They, that that uh, Trump won't uh, won't draft uh, I mean, that, that base. Donald Trump will be able to get some labor support, especially maybe in the construction world or, for example, the Border Patrol Union. Um, but in terms of the big union, unions, AFL-CIO, SEIU, they will be behind Clinton. Mm, that's interesting. That that's very interesting because uh, I think the the uh, GOP was sort of counting on a little bit of drafting there uh, where the where the working class was concerned. Well, as individuals in terms of voters, mm-hmm. they might that there might be a small number of them that decide not to vote with whoever their union endorsed. But in terms of union endorsement and where that union money will go, mm-hmm. that will go to Hillary. Mm-hmm. That's that. That is very interesting. What else do you think uh, uh, Donald Trump will uh, be able to ride to success on? I mean, he looks to be pulling very well with white males. He's not doing well with women. Uh, we're going to have to take our last break, but uh, let me just put that out there so when we come back, we can talk a little bit about uh, where are the areas that he seems to be showing strength and what does he need to do to make a good showing in November. You're listening to the Costa Report. Caraccioli Cellars recently celebrated their fifth anniversary of their tasting room. This is what Enophiles had to say. My name is Samantha Cooper. The wines are so beautifully crafted and you take so much time and effort that goes into making it uh, four years to make one bottle of wine and they're just beautifully crafted and they come out so amazing. My favorite would have to be the Brut Rosé. It's very near and dear to my heart. It was my wedding wine actually. They loved it. Edmund Benich. Uh, I love the cuvee. I love the sparkle. It tickles my nose. Sarah Hines. I've been drinking Caraccioli for five years and I love it. You know, I'm across the board on this. I've been drinking their sparkling wine for some time and I love them all. I entertain a lot. I enjoy entertaining using the Caraccioli wines. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel-by-the-Sea or find us online at caracciolicellars.com or reach us by phone at 831-622-7722. Big data is changing the way organizations work. From data-driven marketing and ad targeting to the connected car, big data is fueling product innovation and new revenue opportunities. It's creating a culture in which business and IT leaders join forces to realize value from all data. They infuse analytics everywhere and make speed a differentiator, gaining competitive advantage from faster, more informed decisions. Leading organizations are creating new business models, developing new roles, and defining new big data architectures, including an infrastructure that can manage and process exploding volumes of structured and unstructured data, in motion as well as at rest, while protecting data privacy and security. 
Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash big data today. Here are 11 reasons to celebrate, and they are our Central Coast heroes. Hello, I'm Camilla Blutian with the Central Coast Red Cross, with an invitation for you to join your friends and neighbors to celebrate our heroes Friday, June 17th, 8 a.m. at our annual Central Coast Heroes Breakfast, this year at Twin Lakes Church in Aptos. You will get to celebrate the heroes who make our community such a special place to live. For a full listing of heroes and to purchase your tickets, visit redcross.org, Central Coast. Again, that's redcross.org, Central Coast. Hello. Hi, Grandma. No, Grandma, I can't fix your computer. I'm sorry it's so slow, but I don't know what to do with it. You clicked on what? You better call user-friendly computing, because I can fix any PC, Mac, or laptop. They'll even come to your house and pick it up. But if you bring it to the shop, they'll give you a free $50 diagnostic just for saying you heard their ad on KSCO. No, Grandma. Downloading that free internet software won't save you time or money. Let's face it. Most of your computer problems these days start with the user being tricked into clicking on a link that contains a path to computer hell. User-friendly computing will have you back on track fast. User-friendly computing is locally owned at 505 River Street across from Gateway Plaza. Or you can give them a call at 831-423-9653. That's 831-423-9653. What are fire, earth, wood, metal, and water? According to practitioners of five-element healing, these are the things that make up who and how we are in the world. This week on Stepping In with Nurse Jackie Tucker, we'll learn more and meet a lifelong horsewoman who's leveraged her experience, training, and expertise to help hundreds of severely autistic children. Join us for Stepping In with Jackie Tucker, Saturday at 3, right here on KSCO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and our guest today is Dana Perino. So let's talk about Donald Trump. Uh, He has largely ridden on the popularity of his tough stance on immigration, including building a wall between the U.S. and Mexico, sending illegal immigrants back to their countries, halting the immigration of Muslims. And you've been vocal in your opposition to uh, these policies. Can you speak to that for a moment, how you think Trump needs to pivot on these issues? Well, I am not one to give Donald Trump advice. I mean, I've tried um, all year long to suggest ways where he could figure out a way to be in a better position for the general election. Um, And I'm not an advisor of his campaign. And frankly, I have a very different job now where I uh, am not an advocate for the Republican Party or for any one candidate. Um, So I look at this from a different perspective now as um, a news analyst and an opinion maker. So um, I think that the primary was insane, right? Yeah. All of those contestants, <laughs> all those candidates, he just picked them up one by one. And now the general election is setting in, and the realities of how hard it is to, for a Republican to win in the country are becoming very stark. Um, it's true that he is an unconventional candidate, and that is so refreshing to so many people. Um, and he is also unconventional when it comes to campaigning. So, for example, on the fundraising front, not happening. And he's not putting in enough of his own money in order to make up that deficit and believes that he doesn't need to spend that kind of money to win an election. And he could be right. And that would be you know, life-altering for uh, a campaign. Um, but I have some doubts. For example, the other thing that's happened is that this past uh, week or so, six weeks for the most part, but once he secured the GOP nomination. Um, he has spent a lot of time in states that he will not win in the general election. California is one of them. Um, where he, the campaign will really come down to about seven states, and that's where all of that focus has to be. For example, Ohio, Virginia, Florida. Florida is actually in pretty good shape for him, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, Colorado, Nevada, um, New Hampshire, and maybe Iowa. All of those states right now, he's in very tough position. Mm-hmm. And there are not the 
um, infra- the infrastructure is not there. The volunteers aren't there. The grassroots and Hillary Clinton's team that has raised about a billion dollars plans to be on television advertisement and radio advertisement in every county and city all across America. Well, he's on cable news and some network news, but he's not able to dominate the way, the way he was when he was just fighting against Republicans. Now he'll be fighting against Hillary Clinton and the, um, and the secret ingredient that I think is going to help Hillary Clinton, at least with her base and turnout, is Barack Obama. There mm-hmm. hasn't been a second-term president that has campaigned for the party nominee, pretty much because they're usually so unpopular by that point that nobody wants to hear from them anymore. That's not true when it comes to Democrats and President Obama. And so Hillary Clinton, believe it or not, is going to be able to utilize Barack Obama on the campaign trail, and he wants nothing more than to campaign against Donald Trump. And meanwhile, the Republicans are not all um, consolidated, and there's good reasons for that. There is one thing to say you want to destroy a party, but you also have to be willing to build it back up. And so far, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about bought time versus paid time. I mean, to this point, Trump has by far dominated the airwaves and the news bureaus. It's hard to watch any news program, you know, cable yeah. or otherwise, where the main theme isn't what Donald Trump did today, last week, what kind of controversy that he's raised. Uh, but the the uh, coverage of Clinton and Sanders has been minimal uh, compared to what it's been for Trump. Uh, at least yep. uh, that's what the analysts have, have uh, uh, said. Yeah, that's true. The, R- yeah. Right? So, so I mean, I understand what you're saying about uh, his fundraising capability. His infrastructure doesn't seem to be there, and he seems to be focused on the states that he can't win and are not going to be the deciding factor. But uh, can he make up for that by all of this free coverage that he's getting? Well, if you add up all the number of people that watch cable news every night, it doesn't come close. Like, it's a fraction of the people that he needs to reach in order to win an election. Mm-hmm. But we're also missing another element, and that's social media, okay? And he's very good on Twitter, kind of good on Facebook. Their Snapchat program's pretty good. But the youth of this country, 71% of the voters of, uh, that are um, under the age of 35 voted for Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Okay, so... Social media is not going to get you there. Um, And also you have just constant stream of controversies. Um, So I just, I'm a realist. Um, I'm not trying to bring anybody down or rain on their parade. I don't want to be at the skunk at the garden party, but I don't want anybody to have false hope that Donald Trump can win based on sheer personality because he can't. There has to be some campaign infrastructure. In fact, as we are on the um, talking this hour, News reports out of that the RNC, which is basically bending over backwards to try to help him as the nominee at this point, uh, he doesn't want to work with them, doesn't want to take their advice. So what, is, what, are, what are people that are even willing supposed to help him supposed to do if he doesn't want their help? Well, I think you make a very valid, yeah, you make a very valid point. At some point, he's going to have to partner with someone who knows how to uh, build infrastructure and get that infrastructure to work. Very, very late. We're 20 it, it, it is it is late and and there's no question about that and I think you bring up an excellent point that uh, you know 70 that that these Twitter feeds that we keep hearing so much about and by the way I don't know if he's good on social media or he's bad <laughs> I mean, someone right. needs to yeah. get a hold of him and <laughs> and, and control his tw- really- his tweeting a little bit more when yeah. when Melania was asked is there anything you would change about him? You know, she's such, she's a wonderfully supportive wife of him. And she smiled a little bit and she said, the tweeting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's true. But, you know, like I said, you make a great point that uh, the tweeting is going to uh, 71% of the youth vote that voted for Sanders. So, again, it's not just (laughs) campaigning in states like California that seems to be a little off. Uh, it's also the fact that you're using social media to get to a constituency that is not likely to support you. Now, we're almost out of time. Uh, Dana, do you have a, a website where listeners can go to get more information about your activities? Yes, DanaPerino.com. And um, 
we have a new website we're working on, so keep checking back because it's going to be really fun with some great videos. And I try to do some of the mentoring work on there. It's not just politics. Of course, I talk about my dog, Jasper. Um, and I have the book, and the good news is, and the paperback that's just out, and really trying to reach um, young people. So either if you're a young person listening or if you have a granddaughter or a grandson that's just graduated from high school or college and is thinking about how do they get ahead in the world, I feel like this book really targets them. It's, and, and it's written in language that they can understand. It's a terrific book. Uh, it's called, and the good news is, uh, I, I noticed that it's into a second printing now. It's been very successful and uh, very easy to read. Actually, a great beach read, I have to say, for those that are headed uh, out on vacation. And uh, and be sure and keep your uh, your uh, internet connections open because, as Dana said, something always happens in August. <laughs> so, so we've got that to look forward to. Well, that is all the time that we've got today. But before we say goodbye, I want to thank you for your service to our country and for taking time to speak with us today. Thank you, Miss Perino. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. If your station is leaving us after this hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Dana Perino, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And if you missed the full interview with Dana Perino or any of our other guests, you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, from Apple iTunes, Podbean, and also our YouTube channel. And if you're a regular listener of the Costa Report, then you know that one of the reasons we're able to deliver quality programming each and every week is because we are beholding to no government grants and no big networks. We're not held hostage by corporate investors or owners or even big advertisers. The Costa Report has remained completely independent since its inception, free to bring you in-depth conversations with leading thought leaders. And that is all thanks to good old-fashioned listener support. So we thank Thank you for your support, uh, and particularly those that have been longtime listeners. My guest next week was advisor to President Bill Clinton and is a close confidant and supporter of Hillary Clinton, who has found himself in the middle of the home email server investigation. Sidney Blumenthal will be here to clear up the facts. So mark your calendars right now. That's Sidney Blumenthal next week, right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for another hour. Hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.